You are now tuned in to Poppy Chulo Radio, your web portal for the best in pop culture news and interviews. The only thing you have to be afraid of is me. The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Welcome to Are You Afraid Apocalypse, the unofficial American Horror Story Apocalypse podcast, a poppychuloradio.com original series, Poppy Chulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, September 20th, 2018, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we're going to recap, review, and dissect the latest episode of the FX series, American Horror Story Apocalypse. Please welcome my co-hosts. Madison Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone. Deadly. I volunteer to go first. But you went second. Oh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I like it, though. And Armand Ellis. Hey, hey, buddy. All right, everyone. Let's get into it. Let's jump into our recap of Season 8, Episode 2, which was titled The Morning After and aired September 19th, 2018. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Langdon meets the survivors for an inquisition. Strange signs herald something coming. Lovers unite, and loved ones turn on one another. Blood reveals mysterious truths. It's very cryptic, almost like a haiku, kind of like Deadly during our last podcast <laughs> spoken word a little spoken wordy i like it so i want to get everyone's initial reaction to this episode it was chock full of crazy and uh several cliffhangers at the end which is always awesome so uh, let's start off with you why not deadly wow my mouth just dropped half the time i was laughing hysterically i mean some of these things that they came up with yeah uh, i mean <laughs> I it was just when he was getting beat. Oh my god. Did it give you no, a tingle? He gave me more than a tingle. I mean when he was over there just naming off stuff, saying he was getting more power every time he got hit. And uh and Miss T V girl too, bring the party boys and our fabulous Nana. Oh my god, she just was the best this week. I'm like yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I was loving it. All right. Armand, what about you? Your initial reaction to the episode? You know, everything I didn't get last week, I got this week. So all I can say is, wow. Um, 
my jaws dropped. And I am even more excited and pumped to, to keep watching. So we've got two with their jaws on the floor. Maddie Fitz, what about you? From the beginning to the end, it was straight, oh my god, what just happened? I love this episode. I thought there were so many things in it that were cliffhangers, that were just, like, I had to kind of look twice at the at the screen, and then immediately went to Twitter to see what everybody else was saying about it. So I love this episode, um, and I can't wait until more, because if this is only the second and I'm already freaking out, I can't wait to see when everything starts actually happening. I love it. But that probably means Maddie's going to give it a 6.5. Stop! It's amazing. I am going to give it 4 for 4. It was a really good episode. Uh, So many twists, so many turns, uh, uh, interesting revelations, shocking things that happened, uh, the return of uh, a familiar face from season one and uh and an ending two two cliffhangers at the end that i genuinely did not see coming at all neither did one of the characters uh neither did well i should say all the characters that experienced the cliffhangers even um our uh our dark lip lady i don't think was expecting what happened so um yeah we have a lot to talk about Boy, do we have a lot to talk about. So before we get into a thorough recap of the latest episode of American Horror Story Apocalypse, here's our announcer with a few special announcements. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasters discussing some of your favorite television shows. Visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts for a complete list of all the podcasts that we produce. You will get up-to-date information on whether the podcast is currently releasing new episodes or if it's on hiatus. You will also be able to click a link to either take you to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or the Poppy Chula Radio archives to download the podcast. To binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio podcasts, visit poppychularadio.com slash podcasts. Would you like to be one of the podcasters on this podcast discussing your favorite television show? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. We are always looking for new voices to add to our collection of podcasts. To become a co-host you must be at least 18 years old. You must be comfortable sharing your opinions. And you must be comfortable using Skype. There's no podcast experience required. So if you think you have what it takes to be a Poppy Chula Radio on-air personality, email talent at poppychularadio.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This is a Poppy Chula Radio special announcement. Poppychularadio.com is currently looking to expand its web presence, and we're looking for your help. If you're a fan of Poppy Chulo Radio and its signature series, please visit GoFundMe.com slash Radio and help us with our campaign. Every dollar amount donated will be improving the Poppy Chulo Radio experience and making it more interactive and user-friendly. We thank you in advance for your support. This has been a Poppy Chulo Radio special announcement.
We now return you to our regularly scheduled programming. Thanks, announcer. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, let's start off with the opening, uh, the cold opening of the episode. We see Emily preparing for bed, it seems. Uh, you know, not only is she wearing, like, Victorian garb on the outside, she's wearing it on the inside as well. She's uh, at the junction, right, Deadly? Petticoat? Junction? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Deadly didn't know where I was going with that. I didn't. <laughs> yes, but you love an old-school pop culture reference. Oh, I do. I love Petticoat Junction. Yes. So uh, we see her getting ready, and then all of a sudden, the um, the wardrobe creaks open, and she goes and investigates, like <laughs> most dumb people in horror movies do. And bam, snakes... Not on the motherfucking plane, but coming out of the motherfucking wardrobe. <laughs> and uh, Timmy arrives, and everyone, well not everyone, but Timmy, Mead, and uh, Amazon Eve from <laughs> Freak Show. I don't know her character's name on this show, but uh, one of the guards arrive, and Mead is happy because they've got a new source of protein, uh, even though they're very confused as to how the snakes survived, uh, we did get a little throwaway line from, I believe, me that she said maybe they burrowed into the ground before the blast or something like that. They will check to see if they are contaminated and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, they collect and chop up all of the snakes. There's like a plethora of snakes that come out of the wardrobe. So it's dinner time and... Uh, they are all excited for some protein. There's a little bit of um, sort of like uh, disgust that it's snakes. We get a little shade from Andre on whether it's human or, you know, well, you'll, you'll eat a human, so might as well eat a snake. And Emily is the bold one to ask who is in Venable's office. And uh, Venable basically is like, you will find out in due time. And so when the servants, the greys, end up placing the stew, the snake stew, on um, the table, and then everyone ends up lifting up their cloches, and it reveals that the snakes are alive, and they slither all over the place. And that leads us into the opening credits, which actually starts off with snakes slithering. So, uh, Maddie, you are a resident Satanist. Talk to me about this opening scene. Talk to me about the Whoa. snakes. Whoa. What is it? Well, you are our expert in the um, satanic arts. Like, like hell. I well, you have books oh on God. it. You have more than I do. Oh I'm just saying. Oh so, Maddie, God. you made this confession. Anyways. So, well, Phyllison, what did you think of the opening? What do you think the snakes mean? What do you think it means that they're alive? Do you think it has to deal with our anti-christical guests like what do you think is going on in this opening scene what did you think well it was funny as hell because i it was 10 o'clock which is where it airs in in my area of the world and i said to my nana i said nana i i have to put this on um <laughs> shout out to nana like, i know right I said, I have to put this on. I have to watch my show. She goes, okay. I, like, I don't know if I'm going to stay. What is it about? And I said, well, it's a little dark, Nana. It's a little dark. Um, so we start watching it. And the moment that the snakes come out of the closet, she goes, nope, I'm going upstairs. 
<laughs> she hates snakes. Oh, so Nana. it was just so funny how at this point she's like, nope, bye. Like, <laughs> and I wish that she would have stayed a little longer to actually see the Nana character. Um, but yeah, so that was just a little funny story. But the snakes, immediately I thought of Coven. I don't know about you guys, mm-hmm. but duh, symbolization of the whole season. Um, and just the fact that they were alive and then all like all in one space too like i don't think her closet had holes in it so like i doubt that they came from the walls and just all of a sudden decided to go in a closet together like no they were put there for a reason they're you know something mysterious supernatural it's not just like an occurrence and uh the fact that they were then brought back to life when they after they chopped them up and stuff. That's some supernatural shit. <laughs> That's not just like, oh no, we're all just going crazy from being down here for so long. Something's going on, and uh, obviously we know something is going on with other things that happen. So, okay, I like it. I'm gonna open up the floor to the rest of you. What did you think of the opening sequence? Anything else to add? Anything else that you noticed Ooh-hoo! that might be? Oh, it's good eating. That's I like that. Oh, you like <laughs> you like snake? <laughs> no, I just loved when she said that. Oh, okay. She chopped the snakes. Our favorite Kathy Bates. Yeah. And of course, our, our girl Nana. She's always up for anything. You know, she, I just loved her stories. On where she's had some snakes too before. I forget what exactly what she said, but yeah, she's she's had it before though. Oh, she's had a lot, <laughs> and no one's impressed whenever she has her little stories. Yes, that was is it, very did, true. Was it? I think she said she had a, a snake stew at Gina Lola Brigida's. Yes, she it was Gina Lola Brigida's. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a delicious snake stew. And a royal dinner with Gina Lola Brigida. Yeah. She's bringing the culture. <laughs> she is. <laughs> no one else is. <laughs> and what did our homeboy Andre say? I don't know. Andre just... Yeah, he's still bothering me. That he was like... Because Coco had referenced... You know, I don't eat anything with multiple legs or with no legs. But then he's like, but you'll eat something with two legs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, go to sleep, Andre. I think he was oh too hard. I hardly saw him. I hardly saw him this episode. He had a good reaction shot uh, later on <laughs> with um, with our girl uh, Dinah Stevens that I really liked. Mm. <laughs> it was a little bit later on in the episode. All right. Yeah, but the beginning was cool. Yeah, I agree. So uh, moving right along. Okay, so uh, this is a lot. So I'm going to try to. Uh, bullet uh, point it so that we can actually discuss it because I feel like you all really want to talk about this. So the guests are in the library, Langdon enters and basically explains that all of the other compounds, New York, West Virginia, Texas, they've been overrun and destroyed. And there's this place called the Sanctuary and uh, it's basically perfect. It's well um, guarded, it's hidden, no one can... uh, penetrate it basically and uh he will be evaluating all of them to see who are the best candidates to enter the sanctuary and those that are not selected they will be given basically a little vial with um 
suicide stuff. You know, they can chug it, and a minute later, they will sleep forever. And so, Gallant volunteers to be first, and Evie explains that that's a survival trait. You know, you either go first or you go last. And so Langdon starts questioning Gallant in Venable's office, and they talk about a little bit of everything. Gallant really tries to figure out what the test is, but uh, Langdon is very cagey about it, and and Langdon just questions him about his anger, about his uh, sexuality, about his relationship with his Nana, and uh, he just starts going in deeper and deeper about... uh, Things that he feels Gallant needs to know, or things that uh, he feels that uh, Gallant doesn't need to know. He just doesn't know what to say, basically. And he talks about a dinner party where Evie tried to set him up, um, and uh, he ends up showing out. And uh, Gallant even questions Langdon's sexuality, and uh, then the conversation ends. And uh, later on, as Gallant... um, I guess he had blue balls or something based on... uh, He had a tingle. (laughs) Deadly. (laughs) He had a tingle, right. (laughs) Based on Langdon, he's about to get into the spank bank, but uh, he gets a knock on the door, and uh, Rubberman is there. Rubberman from season one of American Horror Story, and Gallant feels that this is uh, Langdon based on their conversation, and Gallant gives himself to uh, Rubberman and takes it all. Evie overhears some grunting (laughs) and moans. She goes to investigate, as one, I guess, should do, and she opens the door and she sees them having sex. She walks away, and she ends up visiting Mead in her chambers and uh, tells her about what her grandson is doing. So, Deadly, I feel like Mm -hmm. you really want to talk about this, so I'm going to ask you first. What are your thoughts on everything so far that I recapped with uh, Langdon and with Gallant. And did you notice that interesting scene as he's about to spank bank where we see flashes of Langdon nude, covered in blood, uh, I guess kneeling over a pentagram? What? Do I need to watch it for a third time? Okay, am I the only one? I think I saw some of that, and I just thought it was, like, it went too fast. It was way too fast. See, it did yeah, go I, too I, fast, I, but I, I rewound. It and I couldn't because it was so fast, but you do see him kneeling nude and covered in blood. But yes, so I rewound quick. and I paused. So it's Langdon nude, covered in blood, with um, a, a pe- he's on a pentagram that's made of blood, and um, the circle is candles, I believe. It's very interesting. Interesting imagery. So, Deadly, take it away. Well, I mean, I just love the interaction with uh, with Gallant and uh, Langdon. And, oh my god, I don't, Langdon is just, there's just something about him where I think I would fall, you know, f- for him with, you know, his mm-hmm. seduction or something. Oh, see? He <laughs> is so good looking. 
Oh my god, so, like, just seeing him something. here and then seeing him in Gianni Versace, I'm like, oh, <laughs> just take me now. It's okay. <laughs> like, oh, just take me now. And I and I love the flashback to the dinner. Can we talk about that? Did you talk about that? Right oh now? yes. Oh yeah. I mean, I just loved it. You know, well, he's ta- you know he was saying. You know, I had to be the perfect gay eunuch uh, with the whole Yorkies and his Wedgwood dishes. And and then I l- loved how he just went down the, the list with uh, the different guys. I think that one of the guys was all into his dogs. Another one was a manager of Pottery Barn. And, and there's Nana just, you know, being, you know, impressing them all. And she'd already given away, you know, she's already signed it over to some cat charity, all her money anyway. But. And then he comes in to relax, which is like one of my favorite songs. Relax, don't do it. And everybody should go watch that video, which I think there's two videos. Try to look for like the the censored video, which is like totally like rubber and you know and leather scene, gay leather scene. I think they made like two versions of that, one for the the gay guys and one for, you know for everyone else. <laughs> but I, yeah, you can yeah you can find them on the internet, but. Yeah, I just but I love the interaction between those two and and Rubber Man just got me confused. I'm still like, who is in the rubber outfit? For a minute, I thought it was Andre because Andre is nowhere to be seen. But yeah, so I guess at this moment, well, we're still talking it. Or it's just, you know, we're thinking it's Gallant, but that Rubber Man. Really, you don't think it's Tate? Well, I guess it could be Tate. But it's so messed up. Because he's fucking like, himself? Is he? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's all just like, so bizarre. I don't like this. I don't like this situation. <laughs> like, it's oh, not incest dude. if you fuck yourself. Oh, man. Like, don't Right, Deadly? Well, yeah, it's always good to love yourself. I have no problem with that. Okay. <laughs> Silence. Silence from everyone. Okay. That's hilarious. I'm going to open the floor to everybody else. What did you all think of everything up to this point between Langdon, Gallant, and uh, what did you think of Evie and what she did? Well, I think Gallant bombed the interview. Um, You know, Langdon's really good at finding your insecurities and your weaknesses and kind of exploiting them. And so, you know, Gallant starts at some point trying to like gauge Langdon's sexual interest. And I think that kind of backfired. And of course he found out about the, uh, the hate or the, the, the hurt that he has felt from his, his Nana. And so I think as we'll see later on, um, you know, that's in part how he was able to make things happen. So I think uh, that, that, that interaction was very telling for uh, future scenes in the episode, for sure. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Maddie, what about you? Anything else to add? Uh, no, all I know is that my Nana would not rob me out like that, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> oh really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Shout out to Nana Fitz. Yep. She wouldn't do it. Mm-mm. And, like, you know that this girl is going to rat you out. Like, she hates you. Oh, man. And, yeah, we'll go into it more, but I just love Coco and her little argument. That was that was gold. Oh, yes, we'll get to that. 
That, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. So, I like all the points that all of you brought up. Uh, yeah, definitely the... Uh, I think, uh, much like what you said, uh, Armand, the um, the conversation that they had together between Langdon and uh, Gallant really did sort of like seal his deal. Although I still have no idea what Langdon wants, nor what he's looking for. And uh, a part of me almost feels like he's just sort of going to make them all kill each other for uh, his own excitement. Uh, I'm kind of worried that uh, the other facilities weren't necessarily overrun but uh, he sort of uh, set things into motion I'm not sure if I really trust him so uh, we're gonna have to I guess wait and see a little bit more about that but uh, it was interesting the little bit of um, exposition that we got as far as you know procreation and uh, Gallant uh, being gay and, you know, I can still do it, but he's like, no, you know, we have, you know, the, the scientific means, so you don't have to do it basically the old-fashioned way. So it's interesting that he brought that up about sort of like repopulating the world, uh, but I still, I don't trust him. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously we know a lot more about him than they do, so that makes me very suspicious of him and his real intentions so let's continue on with this storyline so uh, we'll get into the whole Langdon and Venable thing in a moment continuing on specifically with um, with Gallant uh, Mead ends up uh, talking to Venable and informing Venable on what Evie said and so uh, they, they talk and they suspect that uh, Langdon was this rubber man. And so uh, uh, Langdon ends up actually overhearing them and whatnot. And, and next we see Venable interrogating a chained up, uh, nearly nude in his underwear, uh, mm. Gallant. And Mead is whipping him. And uh, Gallant, uh, because he's into the BDSM scene, uh, this isn't really... Uh, doing anything for him as far as pain. He's he's feeling pleasure with it. Um, Venable sees his erection. And so uh, Venable is like, he's enjoying this, and they leave. Langdon enters, and uh, Gallon is like, oh, don't worry. I didn't tell them it was you. This is our little secret. And Langdon's like, I've never been in your room. And uh, Gallon's like, no, you don't have to lie. They're not here. And he's like, no, you know, you're pathetic. Uh, and he's like, uh, you know, I wouldn't fuck you if you were the last man on earth. And you practically are. And uh, he's like, you have a hole that needs to be filled. And it isn't in your mouth or in your ass. It's, you know, in your heart. And he's like, who do you think uh, told uh, your Nana? Duh. You know, she hates you. And she was trying to take that spot for herself. And so, as he leaves, supernaturally, he releases Gallant. I don't know if you all noticed that. And I did. Yes, that was interesting. Gallant didn't notice it, probably because of in, in, in his rage. And so, um, he ends up getting dressed, and we pick up 
with some of our people in the parlor. They're listening to that song, Time in a Bottle. And there's this really interesting conversation about millennials and um, how millennials are, are filled with choices. And, and now they don't have choices and lack of options and all that kind of stuff. And this is where Gallant confronts Evie about turning him in. And uh, she's like, I'm a survivor. Everyone has said that I was a survivor. Natalie Wood even said I was a survivor. Uh, I was a survivor. And I did. I outlasted them all. And um, she basically, they, they air their dirty laundry, you know, about cleaning up his messes, rehabs and whatnot. And uh, he goes in on her and, and not accepting him for who he is. And uh, she's basically like, you know, accepting you, that's not in my nature. And so uh, Gallant is there by himself. And all of a sudden the, the, the music changes from Time in a Bottle to a Fleetwood Mac song. Gold Dust Woman, and we see Rubberman, and Gallant chases Rubberman throughout the facility, and uh, they start, it looks like they're about to have sex, and uh, it looks like it's about to be like some, some rough sex, some angry sex, and all of a sudden, as uh, Gallant is like telling Rubberman, oh, you know, you wouldn't have sex with me, not even if the, I was the last man on earth. He grabs a pair of shears that are next to, um, on like a, like a nightstand, and he starts stabbing Rubberman. And he's discovered by Langdon, and Gallant sees that it's Langdon, and he looks back down at the corpse. It is his Nana. Boom, boom, boom! Yes. So, Armand. Yes. Tell me about this. Your opinions on this, the rest of this uh, Gallant storyline. What did you think of uh, Gallant with Venable, then Gallant with Langdon, and then Gallant with Evie? Okay. Um, The whole whipping scene, I mean, you know, that's not my forte, you know, so... Uh, but I definitely, um, seeing that he enjoyed it, you know, it, it reinforced why he had such a great time with Rubberman, you know. Um, as far as uh, he and his uh, Nana, um, I think that backstory, like hearing like how he's fucked up so many times, I liked it. I think, it, I mean, I guess I could have guessed it by like, he seems kind of disheveled a bit. Um, and like, you know, um, very, um, I don't know, like kind of go with the flow type of character. So I'm not surprised, but to hear her kind of break his character down to prove why she should be the one to stay alive and he should not. And to justify turning him in, um, in an eerie way and kind of messed up way, it made sense that, you know, people would do that in such desperate times for survival. Um... And so I think, like, knowing that about him and seeing how, what they'll do to, uh, to, to, to stay alive, I think is going to pretty much increase as the season uh, goes on, at least. And then um, the, whole, the whole Shears with Rubberman, I'm a logical person. And so when I look at the physique that's inside of this latex suit, it just doesn't give me, you know, Evie. And so I'm wondering, you know, what kind of magical spell did Langdon maybe put him on 
to maybe have Gallant see or appear or for it to appear to be, you know, Rubberman and not hit his, his grandmother. Um, because, of course, if she really had that suit on, you know, it wouldn't look like the muscles and the, the height and the man-man that we saw with Rubberman. So uh, we definitely know that Langdon has some kind of supernatural powers here where he's able to... to, to um, shift reality for some of our our characters okay i agree with you about shifting reality i don't necessarily think that nana needed to be in the rubber suit mm-hmm. i just think that that's the um the glamoring to, to sort of use a, uh, oh, a true blood phrase yeah. i yeah. feel like uh he saw the rubber man but it was really nana what i would love and i don't know if they're gonna do this I would love to see this scene from her point of view. Oh my god, I was just thinking that. Yeah, just thinking. Yeah, that'll be nice. Because I'm curious to see if is she like arguing with him? Like, how does she respond when she when he says to her, like, you know, you wouldn't fuck me if I'm the last man alive? I'm like, I'm sure she must have had a really good reaction to that. So (laughs) I hope that we get to see it. Usually, American Horror Story, they do things like that, so I wouldn't be surprised if they did it. I'll be a little disappointed if we don't, because I just really want to see how she reacted to yeah, it, like that. what she was saying to him. Um, I'm sure, you know, she had some good one-liners uh, before she died. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, it was interesting. It was a shock. I wasn't expecting it. Um, like, I didn't necessarily think as it was happening that he was killing somebody, you know, like, I thought it was going to all be, like, an illusion, but the fact that it was actually Nana, that was shocking. I didn't expect Joan Collins to be killed so soon, although I do have a, a huge theory about the entire series that I will be discussing later. This is called the Tease, mm-hmm. Deadly. So, I, I feel like this isn't the last time we will see uh, Nana, but um, it was fascinating nonetheless. I really like Evan Peters' acting throughout... Uh, this season, like, the character that they've given him with Gallant is really interesting and, and very unique and very different than what he's done in the past. So I'm liking what they're doing with him and with the character. Um, I was wondering if any of you guys think that our handsome man, Langdon, is the Antichrist. And that's why he has so many powers... And all this stuff, and he just likes to meddle with people. Why are you asking us a question that I believe all of us believe? Like, that's what was prophesied in season one, Matty Fitz. Just want to make sure that we're all on the same page and it's vocalized. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, let's do a vote then. Do we all feel like he's the Antichrist, everybody? See ya. Okay, so we all are on the same page. I just wanted to make sure, too. Because <laughs> last week I didn't say who he was because I feel like... You know, if you haven't seen, if you don't know who Michael Langdon is, like, seriously, people, like, who are you? If you don't know who Constance is, then who are you? I know, your girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I get you, though, Manny, but I... Yeah, no, I of know, course, I'm like, on. probably, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the snakes, I mean, now that mm-hmm. we've at least put that out there, I, I mean, I think the snakes reviving is because of him there is an interesting theory online since um this is part of this storyline so i guess i'll bring it up now i don't know if i buy this theory at all 
but um, the theory online is maybe the coven witches are the snakes, and uh, they like turn themselves into snakes and burrow the, themselves into the ground so that they could survive, and that's Ooh. why they um, they were able to uh, uh, re uh, regenerate or something, whatever you want to call it. Bewitching, I like that. Yes, I don't know if I buy that. I feel like the snakes appearing as well as the snakes reviving was uh, because of the Antichrist. That's, I think, the logical explanation. Maddie, you did want to reference the, the conversation. So, since we're this is that part of the storyline, before we move on, is there anything you want to discuss about like the Coco conversation, millennial stuff? Oh. I just thought it was funny as hell. Like, I think that Coco's responses in this season, like, whoever wrote her was hilarious. Just even even um, Billy Lord's character, Mallory, I think, right? Mallory. Mm-hmm. Her, like, hers. We have four, like, people that can play a Chris. Who do you have? Like... <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, are we have four Chris's to play a character? How many did you have? I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. And then I'm like, wait, Chris Evans, Chris Pine. I'm, like, trying to Chris think of Pratt. all the Chris's. Right? Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, and that's that's it. That's all the four. Um, but, yeah, I just, the 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 quick snapbacks and in the clapbacks in this show, even like Evan Peters character um, in the first episode, just their little one-liners are so funny. And I think that's what's beautiful about American Horror Story because it's always been like that. It's a very, very deep and dark show, but the little things are really, really funny. And I love that about this show and especially with Coco and Evan or yeah, Evan's character. They're so funny and I love it. Yeah, I agree. one lifetime of me is worth fifty of yours. Oh, that was that's a burn. It's a mm-hmm. burn. <laughs> and I loved our other girl too, the uh, the the TV lady, Dinah Stevens. Jeffrey, I, yeah, Dinah Stevens. Adina uh, Howard. The Hardy Boys. She's bringing up the Hardy Boys, which you know it's probably way before Maddie's generation. But I used to read the Hardy Boys as a kid, and I too oh, had the by candlelight on Sean Cassidy. So. I feel like there she's going to blow up. Like, she has been way too nice so far, and I feel like she's just going to lose her shit. Oh, that's too funny. Hopefully she doesn't go as batshit crazy as she did last time on Cult. Maybe. Oh, we loved her in Cult. Oh, she was amazing. She's amazing everywhere. Like, oh, you yeah. haven't seen Roanoke, uh, Deadly, but she's fantastic I in Roanoke. I started watching yeah. it, so you should be yeah, proud of me. Oh, I like it. What episode did you get up to? No, I just watched the first episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you started watching it. Okay. That was yeah. to be taken literally. I like it. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like the Hardy Boys reference, too. Um, that's way before my time, but I like classic TV stuff, so uh, I, I immediately understood what she was talking about. And Back uh, when we only had three networks. Yes, that was really funny. I like that. <laughs> but it's so true. Millennials, like, we have choices. Like, we have... A bajillion cereals. Like, if you go down the cereal aisle, you will see Frosted Flakes, and then you will see, like, five or six other similar type of things. You'll you'll get the off-brand, you'll get the, the light sugar, the no sugar, the um, 
gluten-free, the whatever. It's it's fascinating how many choices there are nowadays. It it's really oh, yeah. it's an embarrassment of riches if you think about it. I saw a cinnamon fruity pebbles the other day. I'm like, what? There's only one. Ooh, kind I've of never had that. That sounds good. Cinnamon fruity pebbles. There's chocolate fruity pebbles. No, yeah, there's too many. Well, technically, pebbles. it wouldn't be fruity pebbles if it's cinnamon. It would be like cinnamon pebbles. Mm-hmm. There is cocoa pebbles. You didn't know about the cocoa pebbles? No. Hmm. Cocoa pebbles are good. Anyway, moving right along from our cereal discussion. Uh, well, well, actually, before we leave, Stevie Nicks. She might not have appeared in the episode, but Fleetwood Mac. So that was interesting. No, maybe? Stevie mm-hmm. Nicks is a witch, based on the Coven season. Yeah. We know this for a fact. So her music came on, and then all of a sudden, Rubberman appeared. Mm. All right, Armand, nobody wants to theorize. Armand, I think, knows something about that. Armand loves Stevie <laughs> Nicks. Yeah. I, I actually only know, like, two of her songs. Sorry. <laughs> you love her shawls, though. Armand loves a good shawl. How do you know all you this can, about You scarves? can tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know all this? <laughs> Wait, so that was that you confirming that you like a good shawl? Every now and again, you know. Okay. Nice oh. A good shawl or a good chili arm. I like that. Deadly knows everything. So let's move into a shorter storyline before we get into the second major cliffhanger of the episode. And this shorter storyline deals with Langdon and Venable. So Langdon questions Venable. And uh, initially, it, it, it starts off um, very... Um, what's the right word? Um, what is the word? <laughs> um, uh, confrontational. There you go. Nobody helps. Very uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable as well. It starts off confrontational, uncomfortable. Uh, Basically, Langdon is like, you know, I know you've been violating the rules. You've been making up your own stuff, this, that, or the other. And uh, Venable, you know, tries to justify, you know, I got secret orders. And you're just mad because you're a man. And they sent the secret orders to a woman. And I had to destroy them and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, but I'm the one that writes the secret orders. So what are you talking about? And so they start talking about who's in charge. Is he in charge? Is she in charge? charge what's going on and he starts talking about um something that happened on his way to outpost three he saw a woman and a child covered in lesions and tumors and you know he's like i guess they were outside of the the blast zone but the radiation got to them and he realized that the child uh was was dead and and the woman was sort of um, asking for mercy and to kill the other child. And, uh, he, and Venable's like, so did you do it? And he's like, no. And so uh, Venable thinks that uh, none of them, uh, well, at least the, the names that she was giving off, like Gallant and Evie and Coco, none of them are worthy of moving into the sanctuary. Like maybe Dinah, but she doesn't really know Dinah. And so Langdon interrupts, and he asks her to undress for a physical examination. And she's like, no, you know, you have my paperwork. You don't need 
we don't need to do this. And he's like, yes, you know, show me your shame. Show me, you know, the shame in your body. And uh, he unzips her and uh, we see her scoliosis. You know, the her, um, her uh, spine is extremely curbed. And uh, she says that it brings her great pain and great shame. And it looks like... Maybe this is like a deadly moment, because uh, this is what he would have been doing. It, it looks like they were about to kiss, but they're interrupted. And this is when Mead comes to Venable and shares the information about uh, uh, Gallant and uh, the Rubber Man. And this is where uh, Langdon overhears them uh, discussing the fact that they think Langdon is the Rubber Man. So... Let's pause here, and uh, let's break this down. Uh, uh, because I know that uh, Maddie really wants to talk about something else. I'm not going to pick you, Maddie. Don't think that I'm ignoring you. So I'm going to go to Armand first. What did you think of this entire conversation between Langdon and Venable? And what did you think of the seduction aspect, the confrontational aspect, the humil- humiliate? Tory, uh, that might be a made-up word. Um, but the humiliation aspect of this conversation. There's there's two main things that kind of struck me, or I, I thought about um, when Venable asks him, "Hey, you know, did you did you give the woman mercy? Did you did you, did you kill the child?" And he said, "No." I just want to know why. I, I'm just wondering why he would let that woman and her child continue to suffer. And so I, w- I, w- I wish we could, because uh, at that scene, he says no, and they just switch subjects. Like, just because so instantly. he's the Antichrist. No, I know. I was, yeah, I was going to bring that up as well. Like, how fast he just yeah. changed that subject. Like, he was crying. He yeah. was crying. Yeah, did all of you notice that? There were tears. Yes. yes. They but just kind of came out of nowhere. Percent. The tears came out of nowhere, and then the tears disappeared. I don't know if that was an editing thing, or if if that was on purpose. But that was interesting, and, and it was interesting how cold his answer was, and how quickly he moved on to the next subject. Yeah, and then the second thing that I kind of that struck me, well, not, it's in alignment with what I said earlier, is that once again he's identifying your weaknesses or your vulnerability and your insecurity, and like forcing you to come to grips with it and make you uncomfortable. So just how he did that with Galat, he did the same thing with Venable. And so I'm wondering if we'll see later on, I don't know, if, if how big of an insecurity, insecurity this may be for her. I know we um, last week we didn't mention that she was using a cane, and now we know why. Um, but yeah, that conversation, just once again, is just how you um, bring out that, that pain and that vulnerability in the person, you know, that's that craftiness of the serpent, so to speak. Yes. That was I really interesting. Like, the, the kiss was also like... interesting for me as well, just because of the, the seduction aspect. It's like mm-hmm. all of these one-on-ones, they're, they're kind of like half confession and, and like, you know, like a confessional, like, you know, going to church and confessing your sins and that kind of stuff. So it's like half of it is kind of like a confession session, but then half of it is kind of like a seduction uh, session. It's very weird and confusing. I also liked that, like, 
he has her like at her most vulnerable point and she's like and she all he's also has her at like her most um acceptance of the seduction and and she's like you know did i pass and he just coldly says no mm-hmm. like that was really interesting maddie i apologize i interrupted continue on no 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 i was just gonna say um so um <laughs> you were saying oh like you know he's doing all the stuff he's making them feel like you know they're useless and you know going after the insecurities i was gonna be like well yeah that's what satan does like yeah Yeah. (laughs) um but um i have a uh not a suggestion like a theory yes thank you a theory um that this spine injury almost looks like a tumor type thing on uh, Venable's back may be the reason why she isn't a purple and I feel like maybe that's what's holding her back a lot because or like you know is a security because maybe this is the reason why she's not a purple and she's not accepted shows so that's why she has so much anger towards the purple and are making her own rules. You know what I mean? Mm. Good point. Mm. She's just doing her best to clean up the mess men made. Oh my gosh. Deadly with the feminist point of view. I like it. Yeah. Is that all you had to add? Well, I was thinking, didn't we see, I guess we're not going all the way back to uh, the uh, asylum but didn't someone have like that same kind of thing in their back? In asylum. In asylum? Yeah. Mm. No. No, I could have Oh wait, that. you're thinking of no, I think maybe you're thinking of Freak Show with um Jessica Lang's character and, and the her shame without having legs? No, no, no. That I could have sworn there was something in the Shame asylum. without ha- not having legs, I should say. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like there's something else. Could be some kind of weird creature or something. Um. Well, in Asylum, they they tested on. Remember, they turned the girl into um into that thing. Remember, yeah. and like the school mm-hmm. school children ran away from her. <laughs> I don't know. There's some. There's something odd. But yeah, I'm, I'm getting again. You, Maddie. I'm getting exactly what you're saying. All right, so uh, moving right along. Now let's get into uh, the second uh, bigger storyline of the episode and and the one that left us with um, a uh, spectacular cliffhanger as well. So uh, let's pick up with our two lovers. I'm still going to call them the heroes because I feel like they are going to be heroic. We see uh, Timmy and Emily... They are kissing, and they're like, oh, you know, we can't just do it with just one more kiss. And, and uh, you know, they, they start talking about what they can and what they can't do, and, and they end up deciding to um, research what's going on. Because Emily, much like me, she doesn't trust Langdon. 
and she feels like he's shifty and shady, and uh, they need to find out the truth of what is going on. And they need to also get into the sanctuary. They're like, you know, we can steal some suits. We can find out where the sanctuary is. We can go ourselves. We can break in. And uh, we can we can do that. And so they end up going into or sneaking into Langdon's room. And they find a functional laptop. Which uh, initially Emily is like, ready to accept as real but timmy brings us back down to earth and is like how the hell is this working and and they end up like giving some sort of excuse like well maybe he's got a satellite up there and that kind of thing but it is fascinating how the laptop was just left there open ready to be perused and i don't know if any of you freeze framed but i did freeze frame like the three emails that we were shown and I looked at the dates uh, the most recent email said October 20th 2021 so we have an official date because um, um, Emily mentioned that it was uh, sent a week ago so uh, Wait, so this is in the future Yes. Well, they are now in the future. Remember, 18 months in the future. Oh, that's right. And this was already... um, Ryan Murphy had stated that this was going to take place at least in the beginning, a couple months into the future. Okay. So, one of the emails had to deal with the other outposts, and another one had to deal with the fact that um, it seemed like none of the out... uh, One of the other outposts uh, didn't have anyone... uh, surviving in it and then the last one was the most interesting one discussing uh, venable and in the email it also discussed gallant and it said that venable and gallant were going to be classified as red i don't know what that means and then it also included what emily read aloud that um that uh venable was making up her own rules, copulation, and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, they basically realize that Venable has been lying to them, and and they can have sex and all this kind of stuff. And while they're researching this stuff on the laptop, up above is Rubberman, perched like Spider-Man, or maybe Spider-Pig, and uh, listening in on what they're saying. So later on... Basically, they're like, fuck it. Let's have sex. You know, we don't have to listen to them. None of these rules uh, are for real. You know, we can do whatever we want because, uh, you know, they don't... None of what Venable has said is, is the truth. She's making it up as they go along. So since they see that her rules are irrelevant, and they even wonder what it means for them, like, being chosen and whatnot. So they're like, you know, nothing is stopping us from having sex. We've been holding it in all this time. Let's do it. So they start having sex. Rubberman watches them have sex. And uh, Mead... Uh, uh, enters the room, finds them sleeping. Mead, along with uh, Amazon Eve, uh, end up picking them up. Uh, The tall one has incredible strength because, like, it was fascinating watching her, like, manhandle everyone, slapping them and uh, 
picking him up with just one hand and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Mead is basically like, or I, sh- I should say Venable and Mead are basically like, you know, you all know what happens when people copulate. And uh, they're basically like, but you're making up the rules. The rules are fake. And uh, this isn't what the cooperative wants. And so um, she ends up sending them to get their punishment. And so they go to the chamber where they're going to get executed. And uh, Timothy ends up uh, snatching a gun from a guard. And um, he ends up shooting Mead in the torso. He gets knocked out. And as Mead stumbles away, she ends up looking down at her wound. And instead of blood we see white fluid some sort of um, tubes and circuitry and that kind of stuff and Mead looks surprised now is she surprised to find out what she is is she surprised that she has a wound we're gonna have to wait and see because berm 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 this is the cliffhanger. So, Maddie, I know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I know, but I feel like, deep down inside, you really want to talk about this. So, Maddie, mm-hmm. break it down for me. Talk to me about the lovers. Talk to me about the laptop. Talk to me about them having sex. And talk to me about uh, Mead. Oh, okay. <laughs> the laptop thing. Um, obviously Langdon is the rubber man, not like actually is the rubber man, but he may be using him as just like a camera type thing. Yeah. And like, so he just was up there watching them to make sure that they figured out the plan and And like, he's just setting everybody up. Like he's, he's doing this to have fun with everybody. Like, you know what I mean? And all the other outposts, it's probably him that messed everything up. Oh, so you agree with what I said? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that Langdon is just having fun with everyone. Um, and this is his way of setting everybody up. But, um, okay, uh, I thought Kathy Bates was made out of, you know, hard-ass metal and bitch blood. But, no, she's made out of milk and... You like, said rope. milk. It's just so weird. Like, when that happened, I was like, uh, uh, excuse me? What? And she she kind of looked like, oh, shit, like, I, I can't, I don't have any parts to fix me. Like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, she, like, I'm pretty sure she said, like, oh, shit, or something. And it's like, uh, does this happen often? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I am so confused i am so confused and i am so excited at the same time because this is something new i like it because you know this episode we've gone back to some things from a couple of seasons and now we're being introduced to something new again so i'm excited to see what kathy is made out of (laughs) so hey and maybe this is why she is not a purple as well, right? Because we had um, Venable 
basically show why she might not be a purple, and now this might be why Meat is not a purple. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel I like know. all of the guards now are. I don't know what they're going to call them, androids, robots, and I'm more curious. Yeah, but that would mean that Mallory is one too, though. No, she's a gray. A gray is different than a guard. Oh, okay, okay, okay. True, true. Yeah, remember, there are grays, there are purples, and then there are those without colors. So if we had not seen her scoliosis, we could have easily assumed after seeing this with Mead that maybe Venable was an android, but uh, we specifically saw that she's a human. So, this is interesting, based on also what we learned about Mead last week, that she's been with the cooperative for a long time. So, does that mean the other guards are also androids? And, because you took it as a means of um, her sort of, like, horror being that, you know, oh, shit, you know, I have to fix myself, are there any parts left, and that kind of thing. The way that I took it, or the way that I think it could also be interpreted, is maybe she is sentient, and she did not know that she was a robot. And this is her learning that she is a robot. Like, maybe she once was human, and somehow, either with the demoticness that uh, the cooperative has, based on the fact that the Antichrist either created it, or is a part of it, uh, somehow her human consciousness was put into a machine or she was just a machine that was programmed to not know that she was a machine. Mm. Wow. It could go either way. It was fascinating nonetheless. I was shocked. I did not see this coming at all because we've never seen like robots and androids on American Horror Story. So that was really nice it's also kind of a callback to like alien and and, and that whole film series it was kind of neat and uh, the laptop thing i was like okay he definitely left that for them to see like number one i mean that's pretty obvious although they don't know that because they don't know he's uh, anti-christical but we know that uh rubber man watching obviously he is a spy my whole thing is is he tate is he uh, his father? And uh, is he using his father to spy on everybody and, and gather the intel and that kind of thing? Oh, damn. I, I completely forgot that that's his father. Tate is his father. Oh, my God. Who's your daddy? Mind blown right there. Kaboom. Kabitch yeah. kaboom. <laughs> Good grief. Any other thoughts on uh, Mead? On the laptop, on Rubberman. Do we think the lovers are going to survive? The lovers will survive. The gun just was just a little too close to him like that. I just know that was kind of threw me off, but just, just it was a little bit too uh, came in too handy right there. All right. Yeah, but I did have the flashbacks. Did you talk about this? Where you said that I thought maybe those. Did you say that you thought maybe the the lovers were the who they saw in the beginning? 
Remember, some people got killed, like it was a foreshadowing or something? Oh, no, we saw, um, as they were being taken away, Yeah. we saw the lovers, or one of them sort of like flashback to what they saw, because okay. I'm yeah. assuming that that's what they're thinking in their mind, like, oh, no, we're okay. going to get killed. that kind of threw me. Yeah, I was like, because I could have sworn I saw that, and I was like, wait, so was that them? I mean, it was just throwing me off, but... Right. Yeah, I think it was also used to just remind us that that's what happens because they didn't necessarily say that that's what their punishment was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a reminder for the viewers that if okay. you get caught okay. having sex, because I think um, Venable reference, she was like, you know, you all saw what happened as you guys were walking in, and so yeah, that's what that was. So before we get into our two final segments. I do want to open the floor to theories. I have a theory, so I, I will be going first. But I don't know if anybody else has any theories on what's to come based on now what we've seen. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go first because I'm really excited to share my theory. And uh, I, I was going to start to talk about this last week, but we went a little bit long. And so I, I, I was like, let me save it. And, and uh, actually, I was able to develop it a little bit more, especially after seeing everything that we saw in this episode. So, here I go. In our previous podcast, we sort of discussed the fact that we haven't seen our Covenites. And uh, Deadly and I sort of agree that about halfway through the season is when we will probably start to see them. And, um... Okay, so, so I wanted to put that out there first to remind you all. And uh, something that I don't think any of you know about me that I'm sort of nitpicky about in, in TV shows is uh, uh, retconning. I hate retroactive continuity. A shout out and rest in peace to our Once Upon a Time podcast, but I used to talk about retconning so much there because they, they, they did that a lot. Uh, shout out to Storybook Weekly Mirror. But um, so because we learned... I believe it was during the Freak Show season that all of the seasons on American Horror Story are part of the same universe, even though we have actors playing different characters and that kind of thing. But it's a shared continuity. We see characters popping up all over the place. Obviously, in this season, it's a bit of a sequel to season one and season three. So there is a shared continuity and there is a shared timeline for American Horror Story. Madison and I, earlier this summer, I believe it was a couple weeks ago, actually, not earlier this summer, a couple weeks ago when the trailer came out, I I feel like we had this conversation either before or after another podcast that we co-host, and I know that I referenced to you that I thought it was a little weird that um, this season is called Apocalypse. Because Apocalypse kind of feels like the end. And, you know, it's this crossover event between two of uh, the most beloved seasons, seasons one and three. And for me, it just seemed like a final season type of thing. I mean, you know, how can you top the Apocalypse? You know what I'm saying? But we know that American Horror Story has been renewed for two additional seasons. So it's going to be on at least until season 10. Uh, whether that's the final season or whether they go and maybe they go up to season 13, which I always feel like 13 is an appropriate number for like a horror series. Uh, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. So I found it interesting that this is the apocalypse season. 
in season eight. And then I sort of had to think a little bit deeper as to why it was bothering me. And one of the big reasons is because of retconning. So usually at the end of every season of American Horror Story, we get sort of a flash forward. It could be a couple months. It could be a couple years. Uh, And uh, in one of the most recent seasons, Hotel, we flash forward to October 2022. So that means the hotel is still around in October 2022. And if everything is shared in this universe, that must mean that the apocalypse is somehow undone. And I will explain how in just a moment. So, if the Hotel Cortez is around in October 2022, that means that somehow this gets fixed. So, here's my crazy theory. I feel like the Covenites will show up in Episode 5. What we know already about Episode 6 is that that is the Michael Langdon episode. That is the episode in which we will probably be seeing how uh, Michael Langdon forms maybe the cooperative or gets involved with the cooperative and uh, plans out the apocalypse and, and make sure that it happens. You know, he sets the dominoes in motion so that the apocalypse happens. That's what I think we're going to see in um, episode six. We'll also be seeing the murder house. We'll be seeing who? Deadly? Constance? I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Deadly's all engrossed. Come on, do your job. Come on. Deadly's engrossed in my theory. He, he, uh, he forgot. Was, well, I was. I was like, episode six? Okay. So that's going to be the murder house. That's where we will also see the Harmons and that kind of thing as their ghosts in the murder house. That's what I feel. So that episode, in my mind, it's going to be standalone. It's going to be flashbacks. So that'll be kind of like the intermission episode. So I feel like in season, in episode 5, we're going to get a cliffhanger. And I think the cliffhanger is that the Coven Witches are going to show up, and they're going to try to do something to defeat the, um, the Antichrist, but they're not going to be able to. He's too powerful in this apocalyptic setting or something like that. And so Cordelia, as the um, Supreme... And because she has this whole, um, the power of second sight and that kind of thing, and, and, and I'm going to assume the, the Supreme has uh, Supreme powers that we don't even understand. I feel like she's going to either herself time travel, or she's going to herself and the witches time travel into the past. An- enough time in the past to where they will have enough time to try to stop the apocalypse. Now, I feel like they're going to go back in time, but they're still not going to have all of the answers. Like, they're not going to know exactly what Michael does to uh, set the dominoes up so that they can all crash down to make the apocalypse happen. So they're going to have to do some intel. So those final four episodes, three of those episodes, are going to be us seeing the Covenites uh, learning 
either if it's just uh, Cordelia that sends her consciousness back into the past, or if it's her and the witches, if she doesn't send everybody else, if it's just her sending herself back, she's going to have to fill the witches in on what's going on, uh, because some of the witches are dead. Uh, with her supreme power, she's going to have to revive some of her closest and most powerful protégés um, to help her out. And we'll see in like those three episodes leading up to the final episodes, seeing them... Uh, reuniting, trying to figure out how Michael creates the apocalypse. What I think she's also going to do, based on her power of second sight, is she's going to approach some of these people from the bunker, like Coco, maybe Evie, Gallant, uh, Mallory, and she's going to gift them um, the experiences that they had in the future, so that she that so that they. Um, uh, believe her because if not you know she could be like you're some raving lunatic you're a witch and you're telling me that i'm i survived the apocalypse and we're like so she'll gift them with a vision of the future and so that they believe her and so they join her in trying to stop michael and and the final episode of the season episode 10 will be like the showdown between the witches and the antichrist maybe even in, in the moments before um the ballistic missiles are are sent out or something like that. So that's kind of like my crazy theory on what's going to happen. I feel like we have to stop the apocalypse based on the Hotel Cortez existing in October of the year 2022. And so this is what I think is going to end up happening. I ended up reading a similar theory to mine uh, online where they think that these first maybe five episodes are a vision of... uh, Cordelia. So like maybe at the end of the fifth episode, we'll see Cordelia wake up from sleep and she's like, oh my God, you know, I just saw the apocalypse or something. We have to stop it. I don't know if I necessarily like that one because I like the idea of this actually happening. And, and if it's all a vision, then it kind of makes these five episodes um, not real. Even though if you time travel, you know, the, the time travel will negate these episodes anyway. But I like the fact that these characters are experiencing this, and so I hope that it's more time travel than a vision. What do you all think? Do you all like my theory? Do you guys have your own theory on what's happening and what's going to happen? I think that you need sleep. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Maddie, if I'm fucking right, you better eat those words. (laughs) Oh, good one, Maddie. (laughs) No, um, it is a good theory, and... It would totally be cool if all that happened. And it would totally be cool if it didn't happen, too. Like, I feel like with American Horror Story, there are so many angles that they can just throw at you, and you'll be like, okay. Like, <laughs> because it's American Horror Story. They can do what they want. Um, but, yeah, that would that would be cool. Um, I am down to see Jessica Lang in all the episodes that I can. So, yeah pretty happy. Here, here, Maddie. Here, here. And maybe some um, some alien probes and oh maybe a, a, pe- a pepper sighting. That's Shout out nice. to Pepper. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just hope I see Myrtle Snow. Oh, she's I'm back. Myrtle. She's coming. Yeah. Oh, she back. She back. Don't you worry. Don't In my theory, she gets revived because Cordelia needs her. Yes. So, okay, any theories from the rest of you? Like, what do you all think is going to happen? Well, will we see the ghosts of uh, Vivian and 
Dr. Ben. That's what I want to We know. will at some point. Yeah, we've got to see them. Yeah, I, nothing as deep as you, Jeffrey, but... Um, Sorry. I, you had that really thought out, but you had a whole two weeks to think about it. And yeah, but I, that kind of makes sense, though. I'd love to see it. Right, Maddie? Maddie's a hater. <laughs> ah, that's too funny. Me. No, that's that's funny. I don't know if that's exactly what's gonna happen. It'd be interesting if it did, because uh, I think that makes. I... I think it makes sense because they have to undo the apocalypse. I feel like at the end of the season, they have to undo it. You know, just based on the shared continuity uh, of all of the seasons, and uh, like online, I think before the season started like a lot of people were like you know are the is it going to be like the coven versus the antichrist or is the coven going to be for the antichrist and based on just cordelia the character and, and how against her mother she was i don't see her at all working with michael at all like i feel like they're going to be antagonistical it's going to be cordelia versus the antichrist it's not going to be them working together so yeah i i feel like that as yeah. well like just your whole theory too because the witches come and even like Madison Montgomery's little teaser to us like oh you thought you saw the last of me well maybe she's talking to Michael like you know what I mean like maybe they already know each other and they've been trying to fight Michael for a while um and now, like, you know, like, he's coming and he's trying to kill everybody and they're just trying to go after him. And then maybe the witches get everybody to help. You know what I mean? Yeah. But who knows? But it would be a cool idea to have kind of like a war, like, in the apocalypse. It's almost like this show that's really, really similar. It's called The Walking Dead. Oh, um, my gosh. <laughs> we gotta have Megan is the war. Antichrist? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's too right. funny. And one of the reasons why I keep on referencing episode five, um, I won't uh, say exactly what happens because Deadly's watching it. But uh, halfway through the Roanoke season, there's like that whole um, twist that happens, and it seems like Ryan Murphy is liking to do mid-season twists. Uh, even though we didn't really get a a um, full-on twist during Cult, we did kind of have a, a complete shift in... Um, oh gosh, and I don't, I don't remember her character's name, but um, Sarah Paulson's character. Remember, she started off very weak and afraid for like the first half of Cult. And then, you know, when she came back, she was a completely different character with a, a completely different set of motivations and, and um, a... a um, certainly a a plan on what she wanted to do so that character had a had a twist um halfway through the season and uh roanoke had a Allie, major I twist. Go to Allie, if I Allie yeah that's her name and roanoke had that major twist halfway through the season so i feel like we might be getting a shift halfway through the season and um and that would kind of make sense especially since uh I feel like we have to stop the apocalypse. Like we're gonna, we see the apocalypse now. Obviously, they're experiencing it and whatnot, but they have to stop it, especially if they're going to be doing future seasons of American Horror Story. I mean, they can't all take place in the past. That's at least that's what I think. Okay, so if enough babbling or rambling since uh, 
you referenced The Walking Dead. Maddie. Yes. Shout out to The Rambling Dead, which Deadly used to be a part of, but he's a hater now, like Maddie. <laughs> I'll be back when uh, the Batman is gone. Okay. The Batman or the Batman? <laughs> he carries a bat. It's a bad man that carries a bat. Okay, there you go. Mm. Alright, so now it is time for the MVP, the most valuable player. Which character impressed you the most and why? The rules are simple. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. And if someone has already mentioned the character that you were going to choose, you must select a different one. So, let's see. Who has been the nicest to me throughout this entire podcast recording? Because Maddie was a little bit of a hater. Yes. Let's go with Deadly. Even though you sort of agreed with Maddie. Because I did tell you I, I should go first. I volunteered to go first. To oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, And either you go I first did. or you go last. Right. So, here we go. You know, I was almost going to go with my, my Nana, but I gave it to her last week. This week, I would have to say Evan Peters as Mr. Gallant. I mean, when he was getting whipped and he was just going off um, saying, you know, he was just getting more power from it. And when he started naming, he's like, you know, I pay tribute to all the great gay radicals of the 70s and 80s and just started naming off. Who did he name off? Like Larry Kramer, I know, was one of them. And uh, Greg Luganis, I don't know if he'd actually be like. Well, I think he said gay, gay icons. Because okay, he didn't he yeah. say Rip Taylor? Yeah, Rip Taylor, too. Like, is he a gay radical? I don't think so. I think it's like gay icons. Yeah. But just that whole part was just so intense. And then, oh, and then he even named drop. It was the most funny ad since the Folsom Street Fair, which I know Jeffrey's never gone. I don't know if you've ever been, Armand, if you've ever heard about it. No, I know what it is. I haven't been, though, unfortunately. Yeah, and, uh, yeah you will have fun there. Deadly, you're a regular client? So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went there once or twice, but as a performer, but the funny thing about this is, like, the best performances are going on down below the stage and not on stage. But, yeah, anyway, long story short, short stories long, whatever. Mr. Gallant, Evan Peters is my MVP. We learned a whole lot more about Deadly <laughs> throughout that. It's very fascinating. Thank you, Deadly. Mm. Armand, your MVP and why? I'm going to send a rest in peace to Nana. Um, she gave us some great one-liners. She um, held her own going back and forth with Coco. Um, some nice reads, for sure. And, um, you know, she, she, was, she was murdered in a very uh, graphic way. And I don't think she wanted to go out like that. So um, because I was the first, like, real shocking scene for me, at least, for the season, um, my MVP goes to Evie, a.k.a. Nana. She did go out, though, with that feathery... Um... Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you called? Oh my god, which was gorgeous. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's not a shawl, right, Deadly? This is not a shawl. I don't, okay. I don't it's like a, it's like a feathery <laughs> nightgown <laughs> type of thing. It was she, If she was going to go out, she went out the best way possible. It was gorgeous. 
Okay. I should have you go last, because you're a hater. But I'll, I'll have you go next, Maddie, because you're nice. Sometimes. Oh, rude. All the yeah. time. Sorry. Yeah, you better say sorry. Sorry. Americans. Anyways, my MVP is my girl, Sarah Paulson. I'm giving her the MVP because I feel like she right now is being walked all over by Michael and she is still standing her ground being the tough bitch that she is. Um, even though she's showing her vulnerability, I think that she is going to fight back next episode now that she thinks that Michael and Evan are conspiring against her and the outpost. So yeah, she's my girl. Very interesting. All great choices. And uh, since since I'm going less, like I was like, because I had a couple of people that you all mentioned on my list, and I still have three people to choose from. Um, and uh, I guess I'm going to go with the most obvious choice, because um, he wasn't mentioned. Um, so I'll give a little quick shout out. I'll just reference the other two that I, that I was really impressed with, uh, Emily and Mead. But I'm going to go with uh, Langdon. I really liked him in this episode. And I'm very impressed by the actor and, and what he can do with it. Because he has to sort of like walk that tightrope of being charming, yet menacing, yet in control, yet seductive and, and, and soft but uh, also hard and cold it's just he's doing a really great job with um, all the different nuances that uh, Michael Langdon is um, expressing with each of the different characters he has a tremendous presence and um, I, I really really like him I don't know if I necessarily care about the hair it, it is very Lestat from Interview with a Vampire, or um, since Maddie might not understand that reference, um, it is very Twilight and emo and that kind of thing. But uh, but he is really good, and uh, I'm very fascinated by the character, and I'm curious to see if he really is sort of just like stoking the chaos, and. Uh, he really just doesn't give three shits about um, everybody else there. Although, that line about the proper genetics, in particular about our lovers, our heroes, I wonder if that was real. You know, if anything is real in this outpost, like, is that the only thing that's real? And are they important? Um, does the Antichrist need a, a spawn? you know, a seed of Chucky, you know, basically. And is he going to use both of them? <gasps> Maybe that's why he's doing his, his interviews. He's trying to see which one's the best. There you go. And so... Maybe he already knows that it's the lovers, and he's got to just, you know, sort of like, do a ruse and uh, make it seem like he's picking people? I don't know. Uh, I am interested in that line from the email saying that Venable and uh, Gallant are going to be categorized as red. Uh, red, in my opinion, means blood, which means death, which means they 
might have to die or something like that. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to freeze frame, go back and obviously freeze frame the image when um, Gallant was about to jerk off. But also go back and freeze frame to each of the emails. Uh, I freeze framed uh, all three emails and also looked at the subject. Uh, of, of all the emails that were on the screen. I just thought it was interesting. I was like, you never know when this might return. So um, that was very wordy. But uh, basically, Langdon, my MVP. So now it is time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 demon babies? The point system is loud. And if you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted demon's head. And uh, let's start off with uh, Armand. All right. So, like I said earlier, uh, this episode gave me everything that last week didn't. Last week, I gave season uh, episode one a seven point five. I'm going to give episode two the eight point five. Um, basically, because that last scene made me itch. So, I think eight point five. Uh, season two, uh, season episode two. I like it, and I love how you're keeping track of your score. That's awesome. Let's see who should go next. Maddie Fitz. Let's just pull off the band-aid. You're just trying to like, you know, be nice now. You're just. Oh, well, no, I'm pulling off the band-aid because I know you're going to mm-hmm. be low. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Well, God. do you have your shawl on? You know what? I'm giving this episode an 8. And that's pretty high for me. I'm giving this episode an 8 because during the whole episode, my jaw was dropping. Um, Like I said, I love new surprises. American Horror Story always gives cliffhangers. And I think that it's doing a pretty damn good job so far. Um... You know, like, we, we didn't have the greatest season with Roanoke. Um, last season was... I liked Roanoke. Um, I know, me too, but I'm just saying overall. It was good. Um, oh, my God, let me finish. Okay, fine. And then last season was decent, but a lot of, you know, politics are politics. Um, and this season, I feel like it's just going straight cutthroat. So I am really excited and I feel like they're doing a really, really good job so far. And I just can't wait for more. That's what's making me give it such a high rating. Because I'm like, oh my god, I don't want to wait now. I don't want to have to wait another week. So, yeah. Eight. Jeffrey. Alright. So we're in the eight range. We've got an 8.5 from Armand. He split a demon baby in half. Like uh, Mead split the snake. And we've got an 8 from Maddie Fitz, which is uh, very impressive, coming from Maddie. Deadly, where do you stand? How would you rate this episode? Well, I freaking love Bisque. I'm going to let you know that. Snake Bisque? And And relax, just do it. I'm giving it a 9.5. Wow. Oh. <laughs> you split us you split a baby in half too like mead i did you know it was it was close to a 10 it really was i mean it had everything i loved i mean from nana to her one-liners like Amon said and and gallant and then i, I and um 
Mr. Langdon just really wow. Me and me and uh, Maddie gonna be fighting for him, and uh, just had everything. I'm surprised too. We got the robot lady now. <laughs> we got the robot lady. <laughs> we got creepy back lady. I mean, there's just so much going on. Rubber man is back, and oh man, yeah. I think the my only weakness is still the the lovers, which I know Jeffrey loves. The heroes. I like the lovers. I think they're cute. We love the heroes. Yeah, just, they're pretty yeah. people. Yeah, we'll we'll see about them. They look all good, but there's not much else to them. Wow. But yeah, nine point five. All right, so <laughs> we've got eight and a half, an eight, a nine point five. And I'm going to give it a solid 9. I liked the episode. I thought it was a great second episode. Amazing cliffhangers. uh, Shocking, jaw-dropping moments. Um, The revelations were really interesting. Even, like, the smaller revelations I thought were really important. You know, we're getting to know these characters. And and, uh, I feel like through these confessionals with uh, the Antichrist... We're going to be learning a lot more about uh, our people. I'm actually really excited to see what Mallory has to say, what Dinah is going to say, what Coco is going to say. It's going to be interesting. So uh, I am captivated, fascinated. I'm wanting more. I wish that we had... Um, remember, Maddie, how sometimes like the episodes would go for like an hour and 15, an hour and 20, an hour and I 30 know. minutes? Like, I want that again. Like, these hour and four minutes with the commercials are are not enough. Like, we need to get, like, an hour and 20 minutes every week. Um, Just because it's it's so good. It's so juicy. I read this this complaint online. They were like, oh, you know, there was, like, 16 minutes of story stretched out over an hour. I'm like, no, there wasn't. Like, everything was juicy. Everything was interesting. Like, I think some people just like to complain just to complain. Uh, I really like the episode, so I'm giving it a solid 9. So, uh, on that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Are You Afraid Apocalypse? Once again, here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash PCR Are You Afraid? Follow us on Tumblr, are you afraid? Dash, a, h, s dot tumblr dot com Follow Poppy Chula Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube, at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Help support Poppy Chula Radio financially by visiting gofundme.com slash poppychularadio. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Are You Afraid? Apocalypse and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night. Good night, everyone. Don't let the snakes bite. <laughs> good night, everyone. Whoops. Oh.
Good night. Enjoy your snake kiss. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Are You Afraid Apocalypse every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Papi Chulo Radio Archives. Good night. <laughs>